you have a good week? Yes, I had a good week. I got some. Amen. I'm trying to give everybody a chance to get situated. Huh? <laughs> I don't have to be able to spell it. Everybody know. Everybody has heard that word. I actually think it's spelled the same way. It just would change how you would phonetically pronounce it. Situate. Or an accent of, or an accent of goo would give us the same thing. Huh? <laughs> we could say it's French. <laughs> so we are... Um, I'm just trying to give the kids a chance to clear out the hallway because the last couple of times when they're still in the hallway, then it makes when they're streaming, it makes that a little confusing. So I'm just trying to give them a second. We are going to be talking about, um, we started talking about love last week, but we're going to be talking about love and the concept of worth and what we believe we deserve and things like that. And I believe that if you um, really will listen and you will be open that what you will find is that there are some areas of your life that you need to do some self-work. That that's what you will find. Like, you're not going to necessarily find that you want to take off running and shout today, but you will find that God loves you enough that he wants to deal with some things in your heart that hinder what he wants to do in your life. And so, as you know, um, one of our favorite scriptures here is Romans 12 and 2. We're going to use Romans 12 and 2 this morning. We're going to start there, before, but before we're going to pray. And so, you know, typically when we pray in, over Sunday mornings, you know that we're going to pray that the word would be received in your heart and all of that stuff. But I want you to be mindful of that as, that, as I get ready to pray, that you're asking God to make your heart open and pliable and the things in your heart that need to be addressed and where you have wrong thinking and that the things that God wants to uproot in your life and replace that today will be the day. Because here's really what I believe. I really believe transformation doesn't take a long time. I really believe transformation takes place in an instant. Now then what happens is walking it out is where we see the process. But, but, but transformation takes process in an instant. Like when you get saved, that's not a 20-year process. Your spirit is saved in an instant, and then you spend the rest of the time teaching your soul how to act like it's saved. Right? And so you, I need you to begin to think about transformation as this something. In fact, um, Mark 13, Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, they all tell the parable of the sower. And one of the things it says, it says that basically when seed is, is, is sowed, right, what's going to determine what the seed does is the condition of the heart is the condition of the soil, is the condition of the ground. And that is the reason that two people can be at church and one person can be bored and fall asleep and one person can get their life changed. So the question this morning is how receptive is your heart to change? 
how receptive are you to being all that God wants you to be? How, how receptive you are to that. And if you're not receptive to that, it doesn't matter how long somebody preaches. It doesn't matter whether somebody lays hands on you. It doesn't matter what happens because you're going to stay in the same situation because you're not receptive to change. Have you ever been in a situation where you're not willing to, t to change? What we call it is just in our family, we say your shade went down. Somebody tries to talk to you about something. And the moment they start talking, you already know you ain't going to do it. And so you might still be sitting there listening, but you have pulled your shade down. You can no longer see out the window. You are not interested in anything else that is happening. You want to make sure that you are not a person who pulls your shade down toward the word. You don't want to, you want to make sure that you don't miss out on the very thing that you're actually, sometimes the very thing that you're praying for is the thing that God is trying to get to you, but God doesn't always get to it to you the way that you think it should come. And so you could be praying about promotion on your job and God could be talking to you about forgiveness. You don't understand how those two things go together. So you won't go through the forgiveness work and your promotion is delayed. So we want to be open to what God desires to do in our life. Amen. Anybody open this morning? Amen. Amen. Let's try one more time. Anybody open this morning? Amen. Right. Open. So let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We bless you and we honor you. We give you praise with much thanksgiving. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you've been so, so mindful of us that you have not left one detail of our life to chance. Lord, we thank you that you have given us free will. And even if we choose to go against you, at the end of that choice is a way to get back to you, God. We thank you that you have not left us uncovered, God. And so we ask that you would just give us hearts that are pliable and teachable, that you would give us the ability to tear down strongholds that shouldn't be in our life anymore, ways of thinking that don't align with you, God. And this morning, we're not just talking about like what we identify as sin. We're talking about anything that keeps us from being everything that you want us to be. And we're open for it and we're ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to talk. Let's start with Romans 12 and 2. One of my very favorite scriptures. Believe that it is foundational to anything that's going to happen in the kingdom. It says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by what? The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I love this scripture because it says, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can you switch it to the New Living Translation for me, Ralph? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think that this is really important. Let's look at it in the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Now, what's interesting is that if you read this sentence, then what you think is that you could assume that it's God's responsibility to change your thinking. He says, no, the transformation comes when you do the work to change your thinking. God will produce change. And it says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That word perfect means mature. It means complete. So ultimately what God, the Bible is saying here is that God wants you to get involved in the process of changing your thinking. Well, in order to change your thinking, you got to first know how you think to begin with. 
So you have to become, one of Pastor Edwin's favorite words, is metacognitive. You have to become a person who thinks about their thinking. Now what? Metacognitive. You got to think about your thinking. You have to be a person who thinks about your thinking. Now what we're really good at is thinking about why other people do what they do. We're really proficient, and we want to know why everybody else did what they did. Girl, I wonder why she did that. Oh, I wonder why they said that. Oh, I wonder why they, like, that's not being metacognitive. Metacognitive is when you ask yourself, why do I care so much about what they do? I wonder why they're talking about me. Why do I care so much? What do their words mean to me? that caused me to care so much about what they say about me. Because the healing isn't when you stop people from talking about you because that's not going to happen. The healing is when there's no longer anything attached to you and what they're saying. So, let's look at 3 John 2. Very familiar scriptures, scriptures we use all the time. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm a person who believes don't despise repetitive teaching. You learn multiplication because you do it over and over again. You learn the books of the Bible because you read them over and over and over and over again. And so you're going to learn how to change your thinking because we keep coming and engaging with you over and over again about your thinking, that you are responsible for your thinking. Say, I am responsible, I am responsible. for my thinking. Say, God has given me. Every tool, every tool I need to change my mind. Change my mind. Say changing my mind, changing my mind. Is, a is a choice. I get to choose. Now, the great thing about that is that that's really empowering. Because if whatever you think about life today, you think because of something your mama did or your daddy didn't do or your second grade teacher did or your English teacher in high school did, the great thing is that now your brain just belongs to you. And so if someone gave you bad information that contradicts what God is saying about you, you have the right to evict it. You don't have to hold on to it forever. So 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as what? Your soul prospers. So the Bible tells us in so many cases, in Ephesians 4, I think it tells us to be renewed in our minds. Basically, here's what the Bible says. You will never live above your thinking. You will never live above your thinking. So if we want to change our life, we have to change our thinking. And the challenge with that is that that can be really hard because we have feelings attached to things we think. We have feelings attached to things we think, and feelings are just thoughts in movement. Your feelings are just thoughts in movement, right? So, if we're going to change our thinking, we have to know what we think. So if you're going to take away something from this first little section is that I got to know what I think to begin with. I have to know what I think about God. I have to know what I think about life. I have to know what I think about love. I have to know what I think about the economy. I have to know because if I don't know my own thinking, I can't change it. I have to know, do I believe that God is good or do I believe that God is out to get me? 
Do I still have some good old fire and brimstone teaching that's set up in me that when I do something wrong, now I think that all hell should break loose in my life because I grew up believing that that's what I deserve? Do I believe if something bad happens to me today, it is payback from something bad that I have done in the past because I got to know my own thinking in order to understand what's going on in my life. So we looked last week and we started with John 3.16 and we said God is what? God is. God is. So everything that God has ever done, he does it why? For love. God only goes to war against that which is against love. God only goes to war for that that is against love. So God only gets angry when something comes against love. So God is not mad at you. Say that, say God is not mad at me. Now, most of us, we're really open to receive that. But you said it a little weak, we gonna say it again. Say God is not mad at me. Now let's stretch it a little further. And God is not mad at the person you mad at. And God is not mad at your enemy. So God is not mad at you. And God is not mad at your enemy. So if you don't understand that God is love, then here is the thing that you get caught into. If you really believe that like a part of God is the, is God is coming to get you, then you believe when God, when somebody does something wrong to you, that God should come get them. A lot of you would never say it. You would never say it, but you feel it. That's why you get salty when people who've done you wrong get blessed. Because it seems unjust and it seems unfair. Instead of understanding that God is love and that God hasn't given you everything that, he deserve, that you deserve. How many of you know you haven't gotten everything that you deserve? Yes, some of you are in denial, but you haven't gotten everything that you deserve. In fact, the reality of it is, is that the bad stuff that has happened to you, because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? And so we know that you haven't gotten everything that you deserve because sin should have made you die. So the fact that you're still here means God is for you. Say, God is for me. So for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, him meaning love, It is possible to believe in Jesus and still not believe in love. And if you believe in Jesus and you don't believe that Jesus is an expression of the Father's love for you, you will be saved, but you will live in bondage. You have to believe that Jesus is the expression of God's love. It is a complete expression of how much he was utterly in love with you and willing to pay the highest price to redeem you. When that becomes a reality, self-esteem issues can't stay. The person who struggles with their worth and their value and their identity, it is because they do not understand how deeply they are loved. God gave Jesus for you. If you had been the only person who couldn't live right, Jesus would have died for you. Just for you. 
when you understand that, you break up with all that I'm not good enough garbage. So God is love. Now, let's look at this scripture. Let's look at 1 John 4. 1 John 4 in the New Living Translation, Ralph. This is really, really important because here's what the Bible says. Faith works by love. That's what the Bible says in Galatians. So many people spend a lot of time trying to make their faith stronger. But when you know God's love, your faith can't help but be strong. The proof of it is in a little kid. A little kid who trusts their parents' love, believe everything else they say. If your kid trusts that you love them, they believe everything you say, even if it's wrong, even if it's insane, even if it's nuts. It is the reason that you can take a little kid that trusts your love, they can stand on the bed, you can say, jump to me, and they will jump. You don't have a problem with faith if you don't have a problem with love. You will never have a faith problem if you don't have a love problem. Because the opposite of love is fear, not hate. Now the world wants you to think that the opposite of love is hate. It's not. And the opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of love is fear. The Bible says in 1 John, it says perfect love casts out fear. Not how much I love God. Because my love is imperfect. So me focusing on how much I love God will never kick fear out of my life. That's why people struggle in praise and worship. That's why if people go out and they kick it the night before, or you cuss your spouse out on the way to church, that's why praise and worship is difficult for you. Because you don't get that praise and worship is a response to love you've already been given. So then you're trying to praise God, but you're thinking about all the stuff you didn't do, all the stuff you don't have, all the stuff that's not working, because you don't know that your praise to him is just a response to love. And there is, you can't praise hard enough to get a breakthrough. Now, I know that they tell you that, but there is no praise that gets you a break. You're not going to shout hard enough to get a breakthrough. The, what praise will do is that praise can move you to a place where you realign who God is and who you are, and that will get you a breakthrough. But the shouting in and of itself, the lifting your hands in and of itself, you can lift your hands all day and still not be surrendered. Especially if you grew up with strict, problem, strict parents. Do you know, if you grew up with strict parents who didn't take no mess, raise your hands. So, do you know how to shut up even though your mind keep talking? Do you know how to shut up even though your mind keep talking? Do you know how to fix your face even though your mind still talking? So the lifting of your hands without something in your heart don't really mean nothing. You are proficient. Those of you who grew up with parents who don't play, you are proficient at giving a performance that looks like something. You're proficient at it. You're proficient at it. You practiced it. So when praise team is saying, we want you to lift your hands, it is not really the act of lifting your hands that they're really trying to get you to do. 
They are trying to get you to shift your heart. Because if you shift your heart, no one has to ask you to respond to God. So, let me see where we want to go in 1 John. Are we learning something? So, we're going to do a little bit of preaching coaching today. We're going to do some preaching coaching, right? So, we're going to preach on the first end. We're going to coach on the back end. Because there are some questions you need to walk away with that you need to be able to examine in your own life if you're ever going to change your life. Amen? God wants us to go from faith to faith and glory to glory. Say this. Say, my life life is getting better better every day. My life is getting better every day. My life is getting better every day. That has to be a part of your expectation. Today, I am open to receive all of the good that God has for me. It's funny because Chris used this example and she was talking about how when you can't, um, when you're in praise and worship and you won't open your arms or you won't lift your arms, that like many times it's a symbol that you're close to what God wants to do. Now, people don't realize that. But your body language is like if I come to talk to you and your arms are folded. Now, a lot of people say I just fold my arms, but the body language experts tell us that your arms are folded for a reason. It is a position of defensiveness. You know, if you come to talk to your mama and she's standing there with her hand on her hip like this, there is a position, like if you were coming to ask to go somewhere and you came in and your mama is standing there with her hand on her hip, you're going to be like, Let's try again. Let, 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 me, let me see if this body language changed because our body language says something, right? So when we're talking about opening our, lifting our hands, opening our arms, it's really is your heart open to what God desires to do in your life. A lot of you have control issues. Control issues are really fear issues. I only need to be in control when I'm afraid. So I want to control everybody around me in an attempt, supposedly, to protect myself. But I only need to protect myself when I feel afraid. I'll give you a great example. So, you know, I grew up, like, with a grandmother who was very godly, very honorable, do the right thing, go to church, right? But I got a couple of brothers who bad, right? And they, they sold drugs, and they, they, rocked, they, went in, they hung in the hood. And one of the things I learned early when they used to take me to the hood with them is that your posture in the burbs is different than your posture in the hood. In, 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 in the burbs... You just go to your car. You don't look around. You just, you just. But in the hood, your head on a swivel. You watching everybody. You like, uh, you I don't need you. In the hood, you need your back against the wall because you want to see what everybody is doing. A lot of you in your love walk live in the hood. Your back is always against the wall. You always trying to watch everybody. You always want to know everybody's motive. If you talk to me, this the truth. If you talk to me, if you see me at Walmart in Springdale, I got a very different posture 
than when I go to D.C. and you see me in the store. In, in, in Walmart in Northwest Arkansas, I set my purse in the buggy and I turn my back. In D.C., I keep my purse on my shoulder, shoulders back, like this ain't what you want. That's how a lot of you live in love with God. With God, that's how you live. That's why when someone says lift your hands, you're like, I'm not lifting my hands because what I ain't doing today, I ain't falling out today, I ain't crying today, I ain't dealing with that today. You're not free in love. And then what it does is that it carries over into every area of your life. So then the very things you pray about, you can't even receive it unless God delivers it exactly the way you think it should be delivered because you're in the hood. Selah, you're married, but your love in the hood. I mean, she, you, you judge in every moment. But the Bible's real clear. It says love believes the best. The moment that I don't believe the best about you, I'm not in love. When I have decided that when Edwin does something, that it's just like the other times that he's done it. I'm, I'm not in love. But you know, I got to be smart. But I thought the Bible says if you trust in the Lord and you lean not to your own understanding, he would tell you what you need to know. Ah, So let's look at 1 John 17. Let's look at 16. Let's look at 16 first. 1 John 4, 16. Say, I'm loved by God. Say, I am deeply loved by God. Say, I don't have to perform for love. So it says, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Really, the only difference between religion and relationship is one is based on rules and fear and the other is based on love. Which means we can be in this room hearing the same stuff and some of us can be hearing from a place of religion and the other people can be hearing from a place of love, relationship. It is the reason when David goes in and he eats the showbread and nothing happens to David and people don't understand because David has relationship with God. So David knows God's heart. When you don't have relationship with somebody, you don't know their heart. The truth of it is, is that we've heard a lot about God, but the real question is, do you know him? Not, can you quote scripture? Have you encountered him? And we can always tell people who have encountered God because love changes in how they respond to people. When I'm fully secure in that I am loved and I am enough, there is no competition. No competition. So I talk about this a lot with our kids. You ask our kids, um, you know, we say to all of our kids, you are my favorite. Here we go. Caleb, who's my favorite son? Chase, who's my favorite son? Right. Like, 
we say to all our kids, you are my favorite. Because if everyone's the favorite, there is no competition. Every one of my kids, if you ask them, who's your favorite? Who, who's, who's mom's favorite? They're going to say, me. When, there is a, when everyone is favored, there is no competition. When everyone knows they're favored, there is no competition. But if you grew up in a family or a life where you've seen favoritism, you don't understand that God sees every one of us as his favorite. And people who have grown up in situations where some kid was favored over the other kid, then they believe that somebody has access to something that they don't have access to. But in the kingdom, the reason that people have access is because they believe. So it is not your lack of favor that's keeping you from access. It's your lack of belief in love. Is this making sense? So as I grow in my understanding of God's love, what begins to happen for me is I begin to understand how reliable, how trustworthy, and how strong his love is for me. Like God, you know like when kids are like in the second and third grade, they do a lot of you not my friend anymore. Like especially little girls. Like, you're my best friend. No, I don't like you anymore. You're not my friend. No, no, no. You're my friend. No, I don't like you. You're not my friend. No, no, no. She's my friend, right? A lot of you think that's how God is. You think that God is your friend when you do it all right. You think that God is your friend, you know, when you walked away from the discussion and you said the right thing. You think that God is mad and angry and out to get you when you cussed him out. But God's love for you is constant. So, and this is important, because if you curse them out, he will correct you. But he is not correcting you because he is mad. He is correcting you because he loves you. But if you don't understand love, then when you mess up, you will run away from God instead of running to God. And then you're out there trying to fix a mess that you didn't have the ability to fix to begin with because that's how you got into it. And it's compounding on your life. But because you have the wrong perspective of God, you think it's compounding because God is punishing you rather than because your sin has separated you. So let's look at Romans 8. We're going to start about... Say, God loves me. This is really, really, really important because most people do not realize, particularly people who have a measure of success, do not realize how performance-driven you are. Most people are so performance-driven and if you're not careful, then you deal with your kids from performance place. I, we gave you the research last week. I said, listen, if you have kids and they make all A's, here's what all the research tells us. If your kid make all A's and a C, you're going to spend way more time talking about the C than the A's. You're teaching your kids to perform. 
And even worse, you're teaching them that perfection is the standard. And so then when they can't, like you think about the level of anxiety people feel now. People feel that level of anxiety because nobody can match up to that impossible standard. And so when you understand that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and that God's love for you is unchanging, that he loves you unconditionally, no matter what, that there's no place that you can go, that he won't stop loving you, that even when you're not thinking about him, that he's thinking about you, that he's already proven it because he gave Jesus even when you weren't thinking about him, that when you do that, it will change how you live life. I was talking to a mom yesterday, and she was talking about, um, like, there's a lot of pressure, like, to be everything. Like, a lot of pressure to be everything. Like, you got kids, and so it's like, you know, to be at every game, to be at every practice, to be at every everything. And there's some messaging in this society that says that if you don't do that, you're not doing enough. The freedom comes when you go, God gave me this child because I'm anointed to parent this child. And so I'm not obligated to be what Susie being to her kids. And truth be told, Susie probably stressed out. And so then what you have is you have women particularly living in this huge level of anxiety because women are trying to work and make just as much money as men get the kids to every activity, cook a healthy meal, get all the clothes washed and folded, check everybody's homework, and show up and be hot at night. What? Nobody has that kind of capacity. And the freedom comes when you get honest enough to say, I am amazing. I am not a superhero. I can't do all that. You got to pick. You want help with your homework? You want a healthy meal? no really this is true this is why even though we have five kids like I'm not stressed out so Chase had a football game Friday night I said I'm not going I said last truth I said last Friday Evan was out of town I had to do all the activities by myself I'm not going tonight I've taught my kids that's okay that's real life that's real life. I'm going to still be cheering for you. I'm going to still be asking for an update. But you can give, um, I think Kedra went, you can get Kedra my pass. I ain't going tonight. I'm going to be at the house, sitting in the bed. You can only do that when you break up with being performance driven. I saw a mom. She was like, I missed you at the game last night. I said I wasn't there. <laughs> like you didn't miss me. Like you did not see me. Like, because we was on opposite sides, I wasn't there. I didn't explain why I wasn't there. I didn't say I had another act. I was like, I wasn't there. I'm trying to get you to understand that if you look at practical things, you can see your own need to perform. I'm not a Pinterest mom. I'm, for the Christmas party, I'm not making no cute stuff. Now, if you make cute stuff, I'll pay you to do it with my kids. Otherwise, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get some little Debbie snack cakes, them Christmas trees, and pay place. And that's what I'm going to do. 
and I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to be proud of it. Because you know what I found out? Them little kids don't care anything more about your fancy put-together stuff and my Christmas snack cakes. So you stayed up all night, made them brownies from scratch, and you stressed out. I bought them snack cakes. I went to bed. Everybody's happy. We all good. I know people who pray at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm not that chick. I'm really on the night shift of prayer. I'm not. I tried to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning to pray. I be falling asleep. Worse, I'm up and I'm mad. Because I really don't understand why anybody would be up at 5 o'clock in the morning if they weren't being chased by something. Like, I don't understand why you would get up that early in the morning. Kenosha gets up like every morning like it. Some ungodly three. I'm like, I'm like when I'm telling her, I'm like, are you a farmer? Like, why are you up? Like, are, are you growing corn and peas in your backyard? Like, she is literally at the gym at 445, 415. Like, if I come to the gym, don't even talk. Don't even look at me if I come to the gym that time in the morning. Freedom is when you understand your walk doesn't have to look like somebody else's. Your walk doesn't have to look like somebody else's. God is not asking you to be like somebody else. Your blessings aren't going to look just like theirs. Your job isn't going to look just like theirs. Your marriage isn't going to look like theirs. You have the right to be who God created you to be. And knowing you are loved no matter what gives you the freedom to be that. Amen. Let's look at Romans 8 and 32. Where did I say I want to start? Say, I am free free to be be who God created me to be. Now, I want to say this because I think that this is important. Like, I believe that the biggest theft in the world is identity theft. And I believe identity theft started way before people could hack your, take your credit cards. I think that identity theft is when you don't know who you are because your identity has been stolen by the enemy. And there are, are scriptures, before we go to Romans, oh no, since you're there, hold on, let's do this. Can you look at, can you pull that up in the message? But this is really, really important because you won't be able to receive anything else that God is trying to do with you until you settle some stuff. I'm a firm believer of this. Everybody's not going to like it, but it's just as true. Your life today is a sum total of the most dominant thoughts that you believe about yourself. That's what your life today is. Your life today, your body, your weight, Your relationships, your level of stress, how much money you have, everything in your life today is based on your most dominant thoughts about yourself. It's whatever you believe about yourself. So it doesn't matter that God says to you, hey, you're fearfully and wonderfully made if you keep saying I'm not enough. Because God cannot displace your error without your permission. God cannot displace your error without your permission. God is not going to override your will to make you believe you're enough, to make you believe you're worthy. Here's the truth. People who don't believe that they are worthy of love continue to either be alone 
or be in relationships that don't give them love. Because a person who believes they are worthy of love could not tolerate staying in a situation where they were not loved. Let's take a very practical example. You ever been stressed out? Those of you, if you don't smoke, have you ever been stressed out and maybe had a thought that you should smoke a cigarette? Because that's what people say. Like, some people have. If you have, some of you wanted to smoke something else. If you, like, smoke some, something or something, okay? If you ever, like, have been stressed and thought that you should smoke something or drink something to deal with your stress, you only did it if you identified yourself as that. I don't like wine at all. So sometimes after a stressful day, I'll have a thought that says you should have a glass of wine. I go, why would I do that? I don't like wine. <laughs> so I only do what I identify with. If I can't keep friendships, it's because something is void in me about friendships. Like, you know people who don't have friendships that transition from generation to generation? Like, like, ain't none of your elementary friends still your friend? None of your high school friends still your friend? You ain't got one friend from college. You ain't got one friend from one job, nowhere, no. Like, every time, every six months, you starting over? It's not them, it's you. It's what you believe. And that's why this issue of letting God love you, then it allows you to, be, to believe you are worthy for what he said you're worthy for. So, did you pull it up in the message? Did you get it for me? It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there some more to that? Is there anything else right here, this? Is there anything else he wouldn't? What? Gladly and? No, 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 let's stick back in. That he wouldn't? And? Two words are? And? So you are never twisting God's arm to help you. you. That's why you don't have to beg God for a new job. You just have to believe that anybody who would give their son for you would give you a job that pays you enough money that you enjoy. It's just that simple. It's, it's, it's like he gave me the best. So if he gave me the best, why would I now think I got to wrestle with God over trinkets? He gave me the very, very best he has. But now I got to always be going through in the area of friendship. I got to always be going through in my money. I got to always be going through in my relationship. More bad days than good days. We just trying to make it. No, if God would give me Jesus... He is not withholding the rest of the stuff. Could you tell your neighbor, say, the Lord, the Lord does, not have does not have the rest of your stuff, of your stuff. hidden from you. Hidden from you. <laughs> you know what does have it hidden from you? 
your thinking. What does have it hidden for you is your thinking. This is a great example of like knowing how to receive your sonship, knowing how to receive who you are in Christ Jesus. Years ago, years ago, when Caleb was like one, Kristen came to live with us. When Kristen first came to live with us, Kristen really lived as a boarder. Like, can I get something out the refrigerator, blah, blah, blah. I think Tamara came over our house twice. She was in the refrigerator, like all of stuff. She was just like, I just believe if you said it's okay for me to be here, it's be okay to be here. So literally, I get out the shower one morning. I get ready to go. My car is gone. <laughs> so I'm like, so I call Edwin. I'm like, do you know where my car is? He was like, it was in the garage when I left. So the only other person who can have my car it's Tamara. I call Tamara. I say, Tamara, do you have my car? She like, yeah, I had to run to the store. I'll be right back in a little bit. I'm trying to get you to understand that when you believe that something belongs to you, when you believe that God has abundant life for you, you're not standing there waiting on, on permission when permission has already been given to you. We went out of town one weekend. I called Tamara. I said, what you doing? She like sleeping in your bed, about to take a bath in your tub. <laughs> I'm like, Tamara, you about to take a bath? She like, yeah, I like this tub. I've been waiting on y'all to leave. Like, that is what happens when people know. She like, she like you said I'm your daughter. You said that what's mine is yours. So if you don't want me to touch something, tell me you don't want to touch it. Like when God said, don't touch the tree, he said, but you can have the rest of the stuff. There may be some things that God says don't touch, but everything else you can have. And then, and then it gets contagious because then Chris starts looking at Tamara and she like, well, I'm still over here in the little bathtub. She's like, wait, I'm going to take a big bathtub. Understand that your freedom in God's love should be producing freedom for other people. Because you're like, oh, I didn't know that I had to choose between a good marriage and money. I can have them both? Oh, my goodness. You mean that I don't have to get stuck, stuck here because other people are stuck? You mean I can have everything that God says belongs to me? And the only thing I can't touch is the stuff he tell me not to touch? That's a good life. That's a good life. Change your thinking, you'll change your life. It'll change how you deal with your kids. It'll change how you deal. Like, people who believe they are favored just live different. They just do. They just live different. People who don't believe they're favored... However your favor came, if your favor is because you got good credit, people who have good credit enter a room differently than people who don't. Wherever you believe your favorite, your posture is different. No, no, that's, that's exactly right. When, if I'm out, now there's a time years ago that if I ran my debit card and they said it was declined, I just left. But when I was in Vegas, they declined my card. I was like, no, no, no. Let me call the bank right now because I know I have money. When you know you have favor, when you know you are loved, your position in life is different. 
Let's look at Jeremiah 1 and 5. We're almost done, and I'm just going to ask you guys to be reflective about some questions. You know, one of the things that God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, Adam and Eve, after they've eaten the fruit, they've hidden, and God says to them, um, they, God says, why are you hiding? And he says, because we're naked. And God says, who told you that? Because he's like, you're now giving me information that I didn't give you. So like at this area of your life, wherever you are, who told you that? Like, who told you that? Like, who told you that people don't find love after 40? Who told you that? Because I know people who do. Who told you that you couldn't have lots of kids and still live a great life and be able to go and do stuff? Who told you that? Who told you that all women were messy or all men were dogs or whatever lie that you have on rotation that keeps you from being blessed? Like I say this all the time, women in Northwest Arkansas buy into a lie. Women in Northwest Arkansas say there are no good men in, Arkansas, in Northwest Arkansas. I'm up here on this hill. I don't ever find anybody. But almost like all the couples I know met up here. They met up here. So what's the difference? It's not that it's a shortage. It's that you bought into a lie that you don't, that there is nothing here for you. And so because you believe that, then people end up being really resentful because they're like, I have a great career here, but I can't have a relationship here. Who told you that? I guarantee you, whoever told you you couldn't have a relationship here, don't have a relationship. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you that the, the people who are saying that to you don't have relationships. Why would you take advice from people who don't have what you want? It's like you want to be a VP. Why are you taking advice from the cashier about how to move up in the company? So you are, you are in middle management, right? And they give you an option to have a 30-minute conversation with a cashier or a 30-minute conversation with the senior VP. Who would you talk to? So why do you take advice? Like, if you want to be wealthy, why do you take advice from broke people? You want to have good credit. Why do you take advice from people who got bad credit? You want to live for the Lord. Why do you ask advice from people who don't know the Bible and don't go to church? Because in some degree, your thinking aligns with that. Your thinking aligns with that. Am I saying that somebody who's a cashier couldn't have some steps for how you could advance? No. Am I saying that somebody who's not married couldn't tell you something about relationship? No. I'm saying you got better odds with success by talking to the successful. Like, so y'all know I'm on my gym journey, right? So like at the gym, I've been working out for like 90 days now, right? So, like, people ask me, will I be their accountability partner? I'm always thrown by that. I'm like, so, you want me to help you be accountable? Me. You don't 
don't really seem like you want to succeed if you go pick me. Like, I mean, it's just the truth. Like right now, like if I want to be successful in working out, I have accountability partners like Rich and Jimmy because they have proven that they are going to work out consistently. You go ask me. I'm just asking you to ask who you getting your advice from. Like, like who, who, who you at? Like, it, it take all I got to get myself to the gym. I don't have none to give you. Like, none. Nothing. Like, literally, this is the truth. I have people be like, I'm going to meet you here at 8.30, babe. If you don't show up, I don't even text you because it took all I had to get myself here on this treadmill and on these weights. I don't have nothing for you. You got to get somebody who got something to give. Why would you ask people for ragged, who got a raggedy marriage for marriage advice? You cussing each other out, and I want your advice. I don't. Why would I ask somebody who believe everybody is against them how I can get ahead? I'm trying to give you some very practical examples so you can look at yourself and say, oh my goodness, where am I stuck that God never called me to be stuck? And the truth of it is, is that what we believe we deserve determines what we tolerate. What we believe we deserve determines what we tolerate. What you believe you deserve determines what you tolerate. I've worked, I, I know that Walmart has a rule, supposedly, about they don't promote people in a certain amount of time. You got to work there. But I know people who have gotten promoted within that time. I actually know somebody who got two promotions within the time before you were supposed to get one. The difference is that they, favored people don't believe the rules really mean them. That is the indication of someone who's favored. Like that mean, like, like this is the truth. I never ever believe when I ask Edwin something, he say no, I never believe him. I'm like, he don't mean that. <laughs> right, right. He just gotta think about it. He just, I might have to present it different. The Lord may have to talk to him. I may have to ask him at a different time, but he don't really mean no because he wouldn't say no to me. I, every wife in here ought to believe that. He won't really say no to me. Not long term. Because in his heart, the moment I asked for it, the Lord started talking to him about how he needed to do it. And then before he knew it, he just like, bam. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> right. But, and because I trust his love, I don't nag him. I just be like, all right. <laughs> all right. I pimp off. I be like, all right. Hey. <laughs> I bet you I'm going to get that. The Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen. So whatever belongs to you, belongs to you, and you don't have to nag God about it. Here's a question to think about. How much stuff, and when I say stuff, I don't mean material stuff exclusively. I mean inclusively of everything you could name as stuff. How much stuff do you have left on the shelf because you don't know you can put it in your basket? 
stuff is still sitting there because you're waiting for the right time to receive it. And the Lord has already said that you can receive it. Like, what limits have you put on love and where you live and where you work and what you do that God never, ever said to you, but because that's what you think is now your reality? Jeremiah. I'm, I'm telling you, this, here's how I live my life for real. I live my life on go till the Lord say stop. I do. I live my life. Like, a lot of you, the reason you don't make any progress Cause you like always at the stop sign. You like, Lord, I need a sign. My, I'm like, I saw it. My sign is go. Let you say stop. Like, like with the Lord, I okay. Which some of you in the Lord, y'all live in a neighborhood with a lot of kids and stop signs. With me and the Lord, I live on the Audubon. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm down. Unless you be like, stop. I'm like, say it loud now. <laughs> say it loud. And what I believe is that if I make a mistake, I believe that God got a way to recover me. Like, I don't live my life talking about the mistakes I made before. Everybody make mistakes. The only people not making mistakes is dead folks. But if you live, you go make a mistake. So I make a mistake and I go, well, you knew I was going to do that, right? That's why I say to the Lord sometimes, I say, you, like, you told me to be quiet, but you knew I wasn't because you could see it. You, you wrote this thing from the end. You knew I wasn't going to be quiet right then. So what's the plan? What are we going to do now? How much stuff have you left on the table because you have some unworthy mentality? Amen. A couple more scriptures and then we're done. Jeremiah 1 and 5. He said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now he's talking about Jeremiah. He didn't call all you to be prophets to the nation. But what he did say is that before he formed you, he knew you. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. They are good and not evil. They are plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Psalms 139 says, Hey, I wove you together in the secret place. Like, Here's the challenge for me that I always am struggling with about believers. I'm like, so you believe that God knows you so well that he knows when hair 139 falls out of your head. That he's put that much detail into your life. But he doesn't really understand how much you want love. Like, think about this. There is one thing we all need to live. What's the one thing we all need to live? It's, we need oxygen, right? And you never wonder if God is going to supply your next breath. Like, you never wonder whether there's going to be enough oxygen for you to live. You're not sitting here going, let me ration out my breathing because I want to make sure it's enough oxygen to last through the service and the rest of the day, right? You never, right. You're not like, Jim, like, you're not like, right. Like you just, oxygen is the thing you need for the rest of the stuff, right? And you believe that God is giving you that in abundance, but you think God needs to ration out money to you to teach you something. You 
you don't you don't think about like Matt, Matthew six. Matthew six. It says you you got you so concerned about how you gonna eat and where you gonna live and if it's enough money. He was like, man, would you just look at the birds? Just like I got a system in place to manage the birds, I got a system for you. And it's more than enough. Because I happen to think you are more valuable than the birds. And when you begin to align and you begin to think that way, it will change your life. Like, there's no shortage of love. There's no shortage of love. for. Like, let me help you. Like, let's say you've been married four times. No shortage of love. Now, what people would tell you is that, hey, you've been married four times. You probably done used all yours up. <laughs> you probably should stop. But there's no shortage of love. There's no shortage of resources. We only shortage that we see outside of us is only a reflection of what's inside of us. So if you see that there's not enough love, it's because you're not aware enough of love on the inside of you. If it's not enough money, it's because inside of you there's not enough money. If there's not enough peace, it's because there's not enough peace inside of you. There is more than enough. Ephesians 3 and 20 says, he says, I will do exceeding abundantly. I like that. He do, it doesn't say I will do exceedingly abundantly. He says I will do exceedingly abundant. He says, so whatever your most abundant request is, I'll exceed that. I'll exceed that. The truth of it is, is that many of us live like orphans. What does that look like? You take the bare minimum. Or you think it only happens because you do it. Ain't nothing wrong with working. Man ought to work. What man wasn't created for was to struggle. You're not created to struggle. You're not created to barely make it, to always be going through, to always be in a winding chain, always be on the backside of the mountain, coming up. That's not what you're created for. Sin did that to people. Think about this. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, right, everything they ever needed was there, already there. I submit to you that everything you need is already here. And Adam and Eve never had a day of lack until they separated themselves from the love of God. Every bit of lack in your life is because you have somehow separated from the love of God. You're picking and you're choosing. Some of you like, I got to be responsible so I can't be happy. Where's the scripture that says that? Like, I'm so busy being responsible. I'm so busy checking the boxes. I'm so busy. I'm so busy being busy, being busy that I can't even enjoy life. So I ask God to give me kids, but I don't really enjoy them. 
Like, I don't really enjoy my kids because, you know, I got to work to take care of you and you got to hurry up and you got to hurry up and you got to get in the car and we got to go to school and you got to get out the car and then you got to get back home and then we got to hurry up and we got to do dishes and we got to hurry and we got to hurry and now it's time for you to go to bed. Like, you ask for them, but you don't even enjoy them and they're being stolen. Their years from you are being stolen because you've got the wrong perception about who you are. Everything, like God, isn't crazy. You know, like, okay, this is how some people are, like, just for, you know. Like, if you give me a gift, like, for the record, it would not be a gift to give me a dog. Unless you're going to pay for the food, the vet, the boarding. Otherwise, when you gave me a dog, you really gave me a bill. That's truth, right? What you don't understand is that if God gives you a dog, he gives you the boarding and the vet and the food. He doesn't give you things that make your life harder. So when God gives you a spouse, he gives you the grace to be married. When God gives you kids, he gives you the grace to parent them. When God gives you that job, you know that job that you prayed for? That job that you have all of us to fast so you can get, that job. That now 30 days later you hate, there's a grace for that job. Until you find enough. Nobody should go to work miserable every day. So, I want you to think about this because this impacts the quality of your life. So, my takeaways are, your thinking impacts your life. Your life today is a direct result of your most dominant thoughts. Everything that God says belongs to you, you can have it, and you can have it right now unless he tells you to wait. You should not put stop signs where God has not asked you to stop. 